I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Welcome back to Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. In 2011, I was part of a team that produced the first National Transgender Discrimination Survey and its report, Injustice at Every Turn, which created a sea change in trans-led activism and policy development. On today's segment, one of my teammates on the NTDS will join us. Listeners may know me as the founder of the Desire Mapping Workshop, which I've offered for the past 10 years on college campuses, at LGBTQ leadership conferences in the US, and at global human rights conferences around the world. The Just Sex Mapping Your Desire podcast is a desire travelogue of sorts, a sharing of the questions I've posed to people of all races, genders, sexualities, ages, and abilities in many different languages, cultures, and geographies, and a sharing of the answers mappers have so generously offered about their sex and their desire. Over the course of a decade of desire mapping, I've discovered a single commonality among people who have taken the workshop. You might wonder, what could we all possibly have in common across these great gaps in identity, locality, and experience? The singular thing all desire mappers do everywhere, at every age, across vast geographies and identities is this. We all lie about what we want. We lie to strangers, we lie to our beloveds, and most of all, we lie to ourselves. In each episode, I'll interview someone who has taken or led a desire mapping workshop and ask them about a point on their map. Often we will look at that perilous gap, the gap between who we are in our waking and walking life, our identities, and who and what we want to do in bed. The reality is that all of us have had to fight for and form our identity and our sexuality with multiple forces working against us. Racism, sexism, queer, trans, and biphobias, and sex phobias. We've had to push back against the expectations and agendas of our parents, our mentors, the internet, churches, coaches, and at times, even our closest friends. Desire Mapping asks us to look deeply at our sex stories for clues about the true selves that we've left behind in that struggle. Today, I'm talking to Jack Harrison Quintana, whom I met when he was an undergraduate at Georgetown University and who is currently the founding director of Grinders Global Human Rights Program, Grinder for Equality. Jack was in the room when I was devising the very first Desire Mapping Institute, and his thinking and sexual journey have had an indelible impact on the development of the mapping process and its use as a tool of sexual self-determination and liberation. Welcome, Jack. Hey. <laughs> and if you could introduce yourself in the way that we do at the workshop by offering three terms that describe your desire and also anything else that's important for us to know about you. Sure. Well, I've been doing this for over 10 years now, so I've had many different words on my name tags. I often put cub, and these days I put bader. Should I define these? Yeah. You know, bader is a term that has come up. I, I actually am a little bit 
curious about the history of the term and how far it goes back, but it's really meant to denote that a lot of my sexual activity, or at least a lot of the sexual activity that I really love is rooted in mutual masturbation mm. and not necessarily penetrative Bader. sex. Bader masturbator. B- masturbator. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Bader. Mm-hmm. And cub is of course kind of bear in the bear uh, zoo, mm-hmm. but not necessarily full blown bear. I don't mm-hmm. know, like a little bit of a personality positioning as well as like I'm just a little bit younger Mm -hmm. and then I always like to end with a zinger on my name tag so I'll say urinal this time which is (laughs) sometimes when I use which is fun which is just you know I love piss play and anything else I want to say you know I'm a mixed race activist sex radical um, longtime mapper you are a longtime mapper, and I wonder if you can tell us something about where you were at when we started talking about mapping and maybe one of your early discoveries. Sure. Well, it was so long ago, right? Like, I've been doing this, like I said, for over a decade. And I think that when we started, you know, I was really digging into my some of my earliest sexual experiences. And, you know, when I do my maps, when we do the art of the maps, my maps tend to be very linear. <laughs> they tend to be timelines, uh, you know, with lots of notes and different colors. Um, and I think my journey has been a little bit like that too. Like I really started at the beginning. Um, and for me, that really meant exploring the ways that I got brought into male male sex culture, which was through um, this particular place in my hometown, which was a gym where my family had a membership and I figured out that the locker room was a cruising location. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so even even before I was actually hooking up there, it was a very sexual space for me. Right. um, Because I would sort of just be there while my parents were exercising and it was a space where I was seeing, you know, naked men And I think especially naked men doing like very sort of masculine things that I imprinted on, you know, Mm -hmm. shaving, putting on deodorant, putting on a jock strap to go exercise. And those were a lot of things that have really stuck with me. And then, you know, quite a bit later, I basically figured out that it was a space that people would meet as well and have anonymous sex, a lot of times sort of jerking centric, Mm -hmm. which is maybe a little bit of that root of that masturbator. Masturbator. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that was my launching off point. And so what's happening with your map these days? It's a decade down the road, Mm -hmm. many, many partners later, Mm -hmm. many jobs, a new boyfriend. Many jobs later. uh, Different boyfriends, different relationship configurations. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what's new and how's mapping working in your life right now? Well, you know, for me, mapping is, it's so much a part of my life that I feel like it undergirds my whole sexual life. Like nothing, I'm never hooking up that that's not sort of informing the way I go in and then informing how I think about it afterwards. But really, you know, I, over the time between the when we did it at Creating Change in 2018, Mm -hmm. and then when we did it at Creating Change 2019, I had some big job shifts, and I think, you know, some big sex shifts. Um, In terms of my job, basically I got more responsibility. Mm -hmm. I had been in charge of people before, but not, I think, at this level. 
um, mostly interns previously. Right. And then I started leading a team of three full-time employees, um, which I loved. Actually, I love all three of them. <clears throat> I love having the help. I love doing the work. I love being able to sort of take my vision for Grinder for Equality much wider. Right. And it was definitely also more stress, you know, more if something goes wrong, you know, if the program were not kept around, like mm-hmm. just way more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't be just about me. It would be about these three other people. Mm-hmm. And definitely the responsibility weighed on me pretty heavily. And, you know, so many other changing things around the responsibilities and the job. I got a promotion, right. you know, right. all great. But definitely left me with a lot of excess energy or just like a lot of tension. And I'm just an anxious person in general. Right. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm sort of diagnosed right. with chronic anxiety disorder. And what happened, I think, not in, in, not in a single moment, but... What sort of ended up happening was that as the responsibility grew, it really took me back to this moment that had happened many years before um, and that I don't even know had been if it had been on my map. Like I wasn't necessarily ever even thinking about it. it. You didn't notice it really then. Well, I noticed it then, but it didn't stick with me. It wasn't like in my random access memory that it would pop up every once Mm -hmm. in a while. And it was when I was at Mid-Atlantic Leather, which is a you know, gay sex kink convention in DC every year. I was a little bit younger and I was going to a demonstration that was not like sanctioned by the official event, but that was just in somebody's hotel room. And it was a pretty brutal scene. Like it wasn't, uh, the, a guy got sort of like flogged very intensely. And I think there was a little bit of even like a violence role play that mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't come in in the beginning and get the full context of that. but. Right. That part wasn't necessarily a big turn on for me. It, w- it didn't bother me, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the key thing. But so then as the scene is kind of ending, the Dom takes the boy and puts him in ba- what I could only describe as a body bag. Mm-hmm. And as much as the scene itself was not really like super exciting for me, when he zipped the guy into the bag and he really, really couldn't move, <laughs> I definitely had a little bit of a ping, you know, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, like, this other stuff, not as much, but, but that. But confinement. Uh-huh, the yeah. The confinement was interesting. And I had seen other restraints, right? Like, I had seen chains or ropes, and that didn't quite have the same mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. for me. But this bag situation, I was interested. And so, okay, so then it just goes underground for a long time. I'm not thinking about it. It's not on my map, you know. But last year, as my responsibility felt so kind of like, not unmanageable, but like very challenging to manage, Mm -hmm. that story really came back to me. So the bag started appearing. Mm -hmm. I definitely started thinking, well, you know, what it really was probably is when I would feel like at the end of my day, when I knew I had finished everything I needed to do, or, you know, maybe that's not exactly right. Like there's always more to do, but like, finished everything I was gonna do. I still felt so much nervous energy in my body about like, you could be doing more, you should be doing more, what should you be doing? Are there other responsibilities? And I would start to have this fantasy of being in the bag because then I didn't have to decide. I mean, I couldn't do more. 
And it started a little abstract, like, oh, that would be nice. <laughs> then down to shopping for bags. Right. Then it, yeah, then you're Googling the bags. You're like, oh, I like this about this one. You know, I wonder what size of bag I would what need. What would I need? But still a little theoretical, right? Like, I haven't ordered a bag. And so then a, my one of my best friends who lives in a nearby city had a new boyfriend who was kind of a dom. Not like super focused on restraints, but definitely had that skill set. And it's funny because my partner asked me when they were getting together, like, oh, are you, do you feel jealous? Do you feel like he's going to not spend as much time with you because of this, this other dumb. boyfriend? Okay. And I was basically like, no, I'm interested in getting this dom to work on me too. <laughs> I'm not jealous because I went in. I mean, we were friends too, right? Like we wasn't... Strangers. Yeah, he wasn't a, a non-being in my life. So one day I just ordered the bag and had it delivered to his house. And we didn't talk about it until it arrived. You know, I guess it had my name on it. And he was like, oh, I guess this is what you're interested <laughs> in. And I was like, yeah. And he was into it and... I don't know, I guess it really did what I wanted it to do, mm. which has been the craziest thing, right? Say like, that. Say, say more about that. Well, you know, I had this abstract idea that, oh, like if only, and I was a little bit wary that it could be like a grass is greener thing. Like, oh, if I could just spend time in a body bag, maybe I would be able to relieve some tension or whatever. But you don't know if that's true. Right. But it did. I mean, it really has been such a good experience. Mm. I have a meditation practice, right? and I do think that it is related to that. It's like when I sit down to meditate for the first like 10 minutes, the thoughts are so intense, you know, they're whirring around, you're not really like any more relaxed than any other time. And then after, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you can start to settle into it. The difference is... If it's up to me to just decide when I'm going to meditate, like, I might not do it. I might just keep working. Right. And when someone else is in charge, he can really take me there. And I, I think the other thing is we often will play beforehand in a way that can be very, like, I don't know, like spanking or impact play. Something that's also kind of like getting some of the intensity out, out of your body. And then you go in. And then you go in the bag. And that's helpful, right? It's like, mm -hmm. if he can beat me up until I cry and then hold me. And then put and you then, in the bag. You're right. And then put me in there and leave me. And then, you know, it, we've done long sessions. It's like, when are we going to get out to eat? You know, when are we going to get out to, you know, when is this over? And I love that I'm just 100% not in charge of that. Right. Like, I'm in charge of so many things in my life. And this is a great space for me to 100% not be in charge, even if I, you know, want to be. Mm -hmm. It's usually like if I really needed, I don't know, something. I could yell. He's in the next room. Right. It's not, it's right. never felt dangerous. Right. Can you tell us a little bit, what kind of feelings do you have mm. in the bag? You know, I mean, they just, it's like so much at first and then it just calms way down. And then the best is when you're not asleep. Like I don't, I don't usually fall asleep. I have fallen asleep, which is also nice, but it's like some space in between sleep and waking where my brain is a little bit on autopilot and really the feelings are just very calm. 
you know, it's not a, I don't know, I'm, it's like the, I think about the thing in the hospital when it's monitoring your heart, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost like that's sort of where you're at. It's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, every once in a while, there's a little bit of a feeling that's like, oh, I'm still awake. I'm still alive, Mm -hmm. but very minimal, Mm -hmm. which is great. It's not, it's not a space that I get into anywhere else. Yeah. You know, I mean, I sort of have an imagination that other people like are reading and are very calm or are eating and are very calm. And that's not my story. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a unique space for me. And how does it make you feel about him? I mean, honestly, it's very intense. It's not romantic. It, I mean, it is a little bit like daddy feelings. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit like caretaker. And I, on, I honestly feel like overwhelmingly appreciative. Mm-hmm. And I always try to express that to him. I'm not sure I know how to do it in quite the way that he fully, I don't know. You know, there's the thing of like pay someone in their love language, not yes. yours. Yes. I don't know that I've ever figured that out exactly with him, but I mean, I think he knows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's very intense compared to like someone who I would know or be connected to at that level, like sort of a friend's new boyfriend. Like that could be a, a range of feelings, like right. from disinterest to, right. you know, friendly or right. whatever, sexy. And this is just a completely different thing, Mm -hmm. which is good. I mean, I think what's good is that in my sort of friendship community, there's space for that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make anyone jealous. It doesn't disrupt anything. No. And what do you think having this space brings back to your primary relationship and, you know, Mm. your life as a boyfriend? Well, I just think that it smooths me out in a way that I'm sure is helpful. My boyfriend and I definitely, like, I'm the intense one, which is good. Emotionally. Yeah. I think, I don't know, in many ways. Mm-hmm. We balance each other out in that way, but, you know, I'm always in danger of, not not terrible danger, but I'm in danger of being, like, so, I can go so off the chart. <laughs> right. You know, like, he's at a two and I'm at an 11. Right. And I think it, uh, you know, being able to do this every once in a while or, you know, as much as I can, basically, it just, <laughs> I think it brings my, like, if, if without it, I'm at, like, between a 6 and 11 all the time on intensity, like, mm-hmm. maybe I'm between a 6 and an 8. Right. Or a 5 and a 7. Right. So it brings you closer together. Yeah. That's incredible. It's really a great story. Well, it's been great to live. So I did have a couple of detailed mm-hmm. questions. Just, I mean, people don't really know visually what you're talking about sure. in the bag. So can you describe it for us? Sure. Okay. So it's made of leather and there's a zipper in the back. And in the front, there's a panel down from like my neck to, I don't know, maybe your ankles mm-hmm. that is cut out. And there's a cross hatching of string so that it still has give. Yeah, I mean, it's still bound, but there's a little bit of space. And I think it's basically so that the dom can reach in and, like, tweak your nipples or Mm -hmm. play with your junk, right? Mm -hmm. We don't usually do that. Mm -hmm. It's not usually about me being, like, bound and still messed with. Mm -hmm. 
I'm open to that, but that's not really the fantasy mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But it's built so that there's that. Mm-hmm. And then in, in order to get in it, basically, like, it's kind of open, and I have to lie down face down. He zips it up in the back and then has to, like, roll me over. Okay. And the rolling is interesting because that's the first moment where you're like, oh, I can't help you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not a part of this. Mm-hmm. You can move me wherever you want. And your neck is out in your face. Yeah, yeah. Full. You can get ones with hoods. That's not um, That's not really hot to me. Mm-hmm. He often puts goggles on me mm-hmm. so that I can't see. And then there, we have done with ear. Like, Thanks so you can't you. hear. But... Um, he also often will do, like, depending on where we are, like, if we're in his home, he could put on, like, ocean noises or mm-hmm. rain sounds or whatever. Um, so it's not, like, total sensory deprivation. And but it's, you, can, you can notch it up as you want. Yeah. And so. I can breathe perfectly well. Like, you can obstruct breathing a little bit. Right. But I'm not, you know, for me, it's like... You're not into those things. Well, I don't need to be... I'm not trying... Uh, and I don't want to narrativize what it would be for someone else, but I think for me, it's like if I wanted to erase myself or like go away completely, mm-hmm. maybe I'd want that. But I just want to not be able to, to do stuff. Do stuff. Yeah. I want to be able to not check my email. Yeah. Yeah. And we know, you know, getting you to put down it's your a challenge. Phone. It's yes, a challenge. challenge. I've gotten better about that though. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so turning to work okay. a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you and I are working together been at it a while now as the founding director of Grinder for Equality. Yeah. And that's the Grinder app's global human rights program. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about G4E and also why you think mapping's relevant to that work? Sure. So about four and a half years ago, I had a former intern send me a listing for a new job uh, because they were looking for a job and we're seeing all these listings and it said, you know, become the first uh, director of Grinder for Equality. And it said we wanted someone who could do global LGBT human rights work, domestic LGBT civil rights work, global HIV and LGBTQ health, and domestic HIV and LGBT health. And that should be someone who has a sex positive framework, knows a little something about research, and has connections in all these fields. Wow. And you were like... Yeah, so the person who sent it to me was like, I don't know anyone that this is describing besides you. Um, And it's funny because when they sent it to me, I mean, the first time I looked at it and it was kind of like, oh, haha, you know, whatever. I didn't take it very seriously. But then they wrote back to me and was like, no, really, I think you should apply for this. And over the next couple of days, five more people sent it to me. And I was a little bit like, oh, wow, like people really do think this could be it for me. And I was like, well, I get, you know, I wasn't unhappy in my job, Mm -hmm. but it did seem interesting, if Mm -hmm. nothing else. Mm -hmm. So I sent in my cover letter and they hired me a few hours later. And I think the interview process, it was just really clear that most people work in one of those four quadrants, sort of global health, domestic health. Right. Global rights, yeah. domestic rights, and most people are not a generalist. Right. And it, when I started, it was really the first time that someone had been handed a dating app and said, figure out how to use this for social justice, which was scary, but really cool. Cause, really cool. Yeah. You know, it was just all, it was like, it was all me. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to figure out? Um, but I knew that you know, all of it would be kind of undergirded by a certain sex positivity because, 
you know, Grindr as an app has had sort of varying ways that we've articulated our identity. Like sometimes it's really about dating app, mm-hmm. which I think is true. Yep. Sometimes it's like hookup app, mm-hmm. which I think is also true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've traveled more and more around the world, what I've realized is that for a lot of people who live in places where there are no gay bars, there are no gay sports teams right. to join, like this is how people find friends too. Yep. But what's clear is that nothing, none of this could go on in a way that was like sex negative because that's just not, you know, that's just not the space. Mm-hmm. And really that's what drew me to the job more yes. than anything else. Yes. Or that's what made it really different for me. Yes. Like if sex is already on the table, then we can do so much, you know, in that territory that was felt just right for me, just right for what we had been doing with mapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and and I guess, how does mapping fit in? Yeah. We had been doing it at Creating Change in the U.S. every year, and at first, Grindr sort of just supported that. I, would you go. know, would go and uh, would be paid for to be present and give the workshops with y'all. But more and more, um, what became clear to me was that people needed it all over the world. And it took a little while, I think, for me to really feel like I had built up the relationships with the people in different places to bring a sort of U.S.-based concept or, you know, technology like this Mm -hmm. in and to feel like people could receive it without it being like, oh, this is coming from North America. This is coming from a corporation. I'm not sure that we can be this vulnerable because, you know, it is. It's very vulnerable. It's not like it's not like if we were teaching fundraising. Yes. You know, maybe they'd be like, yeah, whatever, come do another fundraising training. Right. But eventually, you know, we got to a place where it was like, okay, people need this. People know us. People want it. Let's start doing it. And then I guess the first time that we did it for Grindr internationally was at Queer Fest in Russia, right? Yeah. St. Petersburg was amazing. And then this year we've done it in New Zealand. You will do it without me in South Africa and Kenya. And then we'll do it together in South Korea. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about how that work of being vulnerable and finding yourself relates to some of kind of the public health and, mm-hmm, and safety mm-hmm. goals you have yeah. in, in the grander for quality world? Yes, totally. Well, you know, I think both things, it's like there are safety challenges and health challenges uh, that are, you know, it's hard for me as a kind of, I don't know, someone who's deep in post-colonial thought to talk about anything being universal. Mm-hmm. But those two things for users in the 179 countries where we have grinder users are kind of universal. You know, if you're meeting up with people, you know, you have a potential to, you know, face sort of health and safety concerns. Right. And... I think that basically, mm, tell me what you think about this. This might be slightly oversimplified, but I think that basically if people are uncomfortable with the sex they want to have, if they're scared of it, if they... In denial about what kind of sex they want to have. And not telling the other person, not communicating about it, then I think that those risks around health and safety are heightened. And... You know, I think about the people, I think about even people who are activists, right, who have taken our training, who are a focal point for their community, who everyone goes to them to ask all of their questions about, 
you know, gay life, dating, uh, rights. I mean, just a whole yeah, manner of things. Even some of those people, you know, who are maybe even teaching how to be safe in some contexts might still be really like meet, doing meetups or hookups that are putting them at risk. Right. Because they are not fully in control of their own story around their sex. Yep. And so for me, it's like that's what mapping gets to the heart of mm -hmm. and can create the foundation for all the other things that we want to do in our lives as individuals and keep ourselves healthy and safe. And then from there, it, we can, as a community, Build. do all of our, you know, achieve all of our political goals, our bigger goals. Right. So for me, it's very foundational. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's been, you know, incredible to see how much value there is in this, in the grinder space for mm. this when in the LGBT movement as a whole, <laughs> this is Sometimes. often seen as kind of like, oh, you know, do you have to keep bringing the sex up? You know, we're trying to get our rights right. or, you know, this is kind of, you know, inappropriate to be talking about. Right. Embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. So can, can you talk about that a little bit about why this is so important to you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. I think it's like, we always say, or I, I don't know, I just feel like I'm not here to make a better world for gay people who only want to be in monogamous partnerships, right? Like, or even straight people who want to only be in monogamous partnerships. Mm -hmm. I became a radical activist partially because my vision of what, you know, sex can be is radical. And the joy that it can generate I don't know, can change everything. But for sure, people have that kind of embarrassment thing or the shame thing around our piece of that work. And what's funny is that being at Grindr, it's like, even if I'm not talking about sex, even if I'm literally talking about like outbreak alerts, mm -hmm. like there's a hepatitis outbreak in this area of this country and we need to let queer people know no, about it. it, people are still like, oh, I don't know if we can work with you because, you know, it's a sex app. And I'm like, okay, well, I haven't even said anything that, you know, I could tell, I could talk about things that would make you uncomfortable, but I haven't even it's done that work. yet. <laughs> but it's already, it's like already in the room when it's, when I'm representing Grindr, which is great because I don't have to, um, downplay it. Or yeah, I don't, there's no, else. there's no doing that. I don't have to say like, oh, it's only, it's just about health. Like, no, I mean, this app is designed for people to connect and to, you know, create joy in whatever way that they want to connect. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of that is sex. Right. And, you know, also a lot of it is not sex, which mm -hmm. is great too. But there's no getting around that elephant in this room. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know before we go? Gosh, I just think, you know, for me, it's like I've been in this movement now for... Oh, God, I don't even know exactly when I would date it, too. But I definitely think that my... There's many things that I would attribute my not burning out to. Mm. Um, like, I haven't burnt out. I don't... I mean, you know, I've had hard times. But right. I don't foresee a moment where I'm so burned out that I'm exiting the movement. And really, for me, it's like I know that part of that is that I have such a fulfilling sex life. And that I can always ground my frenetic energy in that. I was just on a really long trip, um, six weeks in Asia and the Pacific, which was really long for me. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, really challenging in many ways. But then when I came back to DC, which is where I'm based, one of the things that hit me so hard was like when I was getting back with different fuck buddies or different like sort of community members here who I have sex with, it was like, oh man, yeah, like the this, the sexual community that I have in the places where I am frequently holds me so much in a way that when I'm traveling, not having access to that mm. just throws you off way off. You know, it throws me off as much as the jet lag. That's amazing. So I feel like that, I, I guess, you know, I want people to have whatever sexual life they want. Certainly most people's life is not going to look like mine. Right. But I do think that getting the sex that you want, having the pleasure that you want, can really support you through whatever else is going on. That's, that's my story. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. And now it's time for definition of the day. Today, we're going to do three definitions in the GHI lexicon. And here we go. Genderqueer or gender outlaw. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who rejects the prevailing binary system of gender that recognizes only two genders, male and female. In the National Transgender Discrimination Survey, respondents described more than 500 genders. Gender outlaws also challenge the standard assignment of characteristics that have been arbitrarily ascribed to these categories, such as women are soft and emotional, or men are strong and stoic, creating a rigid construct of gender polarities rather than a fluid, dynamic, ever-changing and evolving world of infinite genders and gender expressions. Gender queer or gender outlaw. All right, next up we have one of my least favorites, heterocentric. Heterocentric, a term describing a system that holds heterosexuality as primary, central, or best, and all other sexualities as secondary, outsider, or deviant. Heterocentric. And for our third definition of the day, inappropriate attachment. An inappropriate attachment is an attachment that endangers or controls a partner due to their vulnerable status. This vulnerability may be based in age, immigrant or citizenship status, gender, partnership commitments, language access, employment status, housing situation, mobility, disability, sexual orientation, or economic circumstance. Inappropriate attachment. And that's our definitions of the day. If you're enjoying yourself here every week, I hope you'll tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe and go to iTunes and give us five stars. You can also go over to Patreon and become a monthly supporter. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you want to get in touch with me for coaching or to buy my book or just to give us feedback on this week's or any week's episode, you can get me at justsexpod at gmail.com. And now it's time for question of the day. Only today I'm feeling a little bit toppy. 
And I think I'm going to give you a direction of the day instead. And this direction pertains to the key or core direction for every desire mapper, what we're asking you to do, what I'm asking you to do. So what I want you to do as you think about your map is think about pivotal experiences. Remember those experiences where you learn something true about yourself. These encounters may not have been physical per se, but they may have evoked a strong physical or sexual response. They may have involved only a conversation or the briefest touch, or they may pertain to a years-long relationship or marriage. The reality is sometimes we learn valuable information about ourselves and our desires in vague or passing circumstances. Sometimes we learn about them in very meaningful ongoing relationships. I want you to free yourself from judging how or from whom you've learned about your desire. Free yourself to remember those moments when all of the blood rushed to your face or when your body let go of all of its inhibitions and you were overcome by an orgasm or a simple kiss. Free yourself to know what you already know about the great sex that you've had, whether you were tied up or on top, laughing or weeping, blindfolded or eye to eye, with your first love or with someone you decided you'd never get close to. Allow yourself to know the things you already know about what turns you on, makes you crazy, brings you to the edge of reason, or pushes you over the edge of physical control. Free yourself to discover the power of your sex story. I like New York in June, how about you? I like a Gershwin tune, how about you? I love a fireside when a storm is due. I like potato chips, moonlight motor trips, how about you? I'm mad about good books, can't get my fill.